The Morning Drive on FM 96.3 and AM 620. News Talk WVMT. Welcome back to The Morning Drive, everybody. Kurt and Anthony here. And joining us in studio now, it's the Chief of Police in Burlington, Chief John Murad. Good morning, Chief. Good morning, and good morning to everybody listening to WVMT Morning Drive. It's really great to be here today. Thank you. Great to have you here, as always. You're always giving of your time, and we always appreciate it. And, of course, especially at this this time when we've had this horrific event in Burlington that happened on on Sunday, um, Saturday. Saturday night. Saturday night, actually, uh, with the three young Palestinian uh, guys, 20-year-old college students from not from Vermont, but visiting in Vermont, so, Chief, start. Uh, let's start out. You had the press conference yesterday, but start. If you can start us out telling us what do we know about Jason Eaton? What do we did? And my first thing is, did he, in the apartment that he lived on, which was apparently right where the shooting took place, did he live alone? Yes, we do believe that he lived alone. There, there is no indication that anybody else was in that apartment. There was very little in the apartment. It was relatively sparse. Uh, sparsely furnished, excuse me. Um, and, uh, you know, we believe that he's a relatively recent arrival in Burlington, but he is somebody with Vermont roots. Uh, we had found evidence connecting him to Syracuse. I've seen media reporting that we as uh, law enforcement have not yet corroborated that connects him to Vermont going back a long ways. Uh, also shows a, a somewhat peripatetic lifestyle, a, a moving lifestyle where he's going around to a lot of places, uh, apparently worked as a farmhand, uh, did some work in, in New Hampshire and, and in Massachusetts and other places. Um, but you know, all of that is, is stuff that we're going to be working on as we try to develop a, a picture of him as a, as a subject, as a, as a, a suspect and now defendant, um, in order to, to, Get to what everybody really is interested in right now, which is motive. When something this inexplicable and horrific happens, people seek out reason. And unfortunately, at times, there isn't a lot. Uh, Some of these things are not things that reasonable people do. And they are things that are awful and are outside of our norms. And we may not find the answers that really satisfy us. So what will this what will this investigation? I know you can't tell us the details, but uh, what will the investigation encompass in trying to find out more about Jason Eaton? I mean, I know I heard the question yesterday. It was one of the things I was interested in finding out, which is, did he have a criminal record? Did he have a lot of contacts with the Burlington Police Department? Obviously, he had mostly hadn't been living here, and I think the answer was just one. In our new, in our current system, we found one traffic connection, and I, I don't even know for certain that that was a Burlington stop. I think it was a system, It was just one that was in Valcor, which is the the system that is used by Burlington and most of the state. Uh, news media has reported uh, that they did information requests that found multiple other traffic uh, stops from earlier in, uh, in even some back into the '90s, I believe. So those weren't necessarily in the full cache of what we were initially looking at. Um, we're going to dig deeper into that. We're going to dig deeper into whether or not there's anything in other places. I, you know, we've, we've spoken to federal partners. We've certainly already, uh, looked at him through the lens of, uh, of the things that worried us initially with this kind of an incident. We have three young men, uh, of Palestinian descent who are, are speaking Arabic and English as they, as they cross, as they, excuse me, walk down a street, um, who are, are wearing kafiyas. Uh, two of them of the three. And obviously that says to us, is there some kind of nexus here about 
their identity, about uh, this this international conflict that is raging um, overseas, uh, about issues that that bring in our federal partners, the kinds of things that uh, our federal partners deal with far more than than we do as a municipal police department. We did do those investigations with federal partners, and, and nothing popped uh, with regard to that that we found yet. Um, what we did take from his apartment, in addition to the firearm in question and the ammunition that links him to this crime, uh, in addition to a number of other firearms that were in the apartment, uh, what we did take is a lot of electronic equipment and devices. So computers, cell phones, uh, hard drives. And, and we're going to be seeking to go through those. Uh, and some of them we probably won't be able to get into. Others we will. Uh, we'll be using every single tool. I, I certainly am going to be leveraging our uh, this moment in order to get the federal government to use every single tool at their disposal to go through those. And we may be able to find things like writings, like, you know, I mean, the best thing would be a man of not best, but the, the thing that would be most conclusive would be some manifesto spelling out. This is my position on the world and what I intend to do. We've seen that in horrible acts before uh, in Norway with a, a tremendously large mass killing in, in Buffalo uh, with a racially driven um, mass shooting uh, a few years ago. Um, but we may not find that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Do we know yet if this guy was on uh, had a Facebook page or social media, anything like that? Where I've seen a Twitter account that is associated with him. I don't know that it's, you know, a lot of these things we don't know yet what whether they're definitive or not. And that goes for the media reporting. There's been some some very uh, compelling reporting in, in, I think I saw it in the Daily Beast. I've seen it referenced in a couple of other, uh, I think NBC had some things. Uh, we have to re-corroborate all that, right? Uh, anytime we use things like that, we can't just source it from the media. Not if we're going to introduce it in in the course of a of a case. We can use it as a as something to sort of drive our direction, sure. uh, or or give us a little hint about what we think about this person. Um, but we're going to have to do a lot of that legwork ourselves. We're do- talking to Burlington Police Chief John Mirad. Mackenzie Country Classic Hotlines open triple eight four one four zero three zero three. Let's go to it. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning, Chief Merritt. I just really wanted to thank you um, and the Burlington Police for the prompt arrest of, of what looks like the right guy. And I also want um, the listeners to know that there's um, a silent vigil at the top of the church street tonight at 530 uh, for these three gentlemen. Uh, and again, thanks, I think, on behalf of a lot of Vermonters. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I, I want to shout out the... Lieutenant Detective Commander Michael Beliveau. Uh, Mike Beliveau runs our detective unit. Um, he has been an extraordinary detective. He was instrumental in deriving the, the evidence that we used to address the, the terrible crimes that we believe were committed at the St. Joseph's Orphanage. Uh, and that was a big case that we worked on with the attorney general uh, and with the state's attorney and others. Mike was, was instrumental in that. Uh, he has led this detective unit for uh, about a year now. Um, he's led it through incredibly tough stuff. And uh, he is an amazing both investigator and, more importantly, a leader and manager to, to really direct these these. Uh, teams because it was ATF agents who knocked on that door, but they were knocking on that door because Mike took the resources that were brought to us, larger resources than we normally have, because of a lot.
lot of, of high, high-level government scrutiny on this incident and a desire to assist. And he, he was able to actually deploy those resources in intelligent, useful ways. I need you to do this. I need you to do that. And that is a hard thing. A lot of times, and I, I saw this in New York uh, in relation to 9-11. I wasn't in a New York cop uh, at the time of 9-11, but I've seen the reports that were after action reports. We saw it recently in Maine. You will have tons of resources so many thrown people. at a thing, and then how do you make use of all of them? And he does a great job of that. And so a shout-out to Mike Beliveau, and also a shout-out to those ATF agents for knowing what they had when that man answered the door. Well, I was going to ask, you know, when, when you have that many resources and the, the feds come sweeping in, who's running the show? And uh, you just answered my question, and, yeah. and, and, and it's great that, that uh, they took direction from a local person and you had the extra people on the street. Yeah. Let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Let's go to the next line. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning. I'd like to, uh, I'd like to give a shout. Hello. Hello. You're Hello. on the air. Okay. I'd like to give a shout out to uh, Chief Murad. Uh, I want to thank you for your loyalty and dedication to both the city of Virgins and the men and women that work for the, the, uh, the Burlington Police Department. You've done an outstanding job, and you've persevered through times that many other people would have left under that duress. But thank you for doing what you did. I hope you had a nice Thanksgiving, and I hope you have a nice holiday season, John. Yep. Can I ask, is, is this former chief of police in Virgins? <laughs> I think I recognize the is. voice. George Merkel? That's correct. Oh, well... Chief, thank you. Call in. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Chief. Thanks for those and you, words, and, and right back at you. I hope you, too, had a terrific uh, Thanksgiving and are looking forward to good holidays to come. Um, but I, I, you know, I appreciate all that you've done for Vermont law enforcement, and I definitely thank you for those words. Yep, and he has a unique perspective. You take care. You, too. He has a, a unique perspective. Uh, yes. Yeah, from a long One time. chief to another. Yes, indeed. Uh, let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning Hello. drive. You're on the air. Do you hear me? I can hear you. Hello. You're, You're on, on the, the air. air. Yes, hi. <laughs> My name is John Davis. I'm from St. Albans City, Vermont. I just want to say I'm glad they finally made the chief permanent. And I'm wondering how long is it going to take to rebuild the police department? That, that's a terrific question, Mr. Davis. Thanks for that. Um, so, uh, you know, we are working hard on rebuilding. Our, our numbers, uh, we were authorized initially at 105 prior to the decision to reduce the department through attrition to 74. Uh, that decision has been partially changed to 87. 87, I still do not believe is enough to, to effectively police the city, but we are not at 87, so I'm going to keep working towards that number and we'll address going beyond it when we need to. Uh, we are currently at 69 and we fell as low as 60 uh, or 61 um, so we have rebuilt from our from the the nadir from the, the that, sort of bottom Chief, sorry to interrupt, but does that number 69 include the airport it does that number 69 is every single sworn police officer in the police department what we have including myself including the airport officers including our detectives uh, you know normally we hung around 97 so even though we were authorized for, for 105 our average over the past a decade or so was 97 so to be at 69 is is uh, is a 
tremendous uh, you know, deficit. It's a much lower number than we normally have. We're working hard to rebuild. We've also created those other roles that we have to, to augment the sworn officers because sworn officers aren't all that a police department is. We have incredible dispatchers. We have uh, incredible employees who are community support liaisons, in-house social workers. We have community service officers or CSOs who are unarmed and unsworn, but they can address uh, quality of life issues. They can issue municipal tickets. They are an augmentation on police resources and very, very helpful. So we have, uh, I believe, six of those right now, uh, or perhaps seven. We have six uh, CSLs, which is our full uh, allotment of, of CSLs. Uh, we are working to create another program called Burlington Cares, which will be a, a co-deployment of a social worker clinician, somebody who actually has uh, the ability to, to work on people with mental health issues, and uh, a nurse or medical practitioner so that they can go and they can do things in the field that prevent uh, those folks from from you know taking up resources at our hospital. All of this is the form of trying to get back to uh, being the the kind of agency that that the men inside want it to be. The men and women inside want it to be. They want an agency that is as responsive as we once were. We're not currently as responsive as we once were. We certainly pull out the stops when we have a terrible terrible incident like this. Uh, the work that the detective bureau does is is uh, tremendous. What patrol does when it responds to these incidents is tremendous. But we need more resources and we're working to rebuild. I don't have a timeline for you. I think that, you know, by the end of this fiscal year, uh, we'll probably be in the 70s. I think that uh, by the end of the coming calendar year, that is 2025, excuse me, 2024, uh, that we'll be in the 70s. I, I, you know, I want us to be able to rebuild. But there are so many variables in that, and we're struggling against an economy and a, and a national hiring situation that isn't a great one. Uh, it's difficult to find people to do work. And do we still have, uh, because, you know, Mayor Adams of New York City announced that they're going to, and, and immediately I understood it, because as you talk about the pipeline, they have to go through the academy. You yeah. go through the hiring process, but then they have to go through the academy. We still have uh, spots available, and we're still m- moving people into the academy, so the we're trotting forward in that respect. Yes, indeed. Uh, you know, we have a police academy coming. There's two academies a year, and every single Vermont police officer who is not currently a police officer needs to be fully trained as a police officer has to go through one of those two academy sessions. One is uh, begins in February, and one begins in August. And, of course, those were changed, too, by the pandemic. So we had these years that were really complicated for the profession as a whole in the state. We're, we're anticipating putting people into this coming February class. I'm anticipating a large class in August of 2024. Yep. Once college gets out, we, we, you know, we're working with people who are going to be graduating and coming to us. Mm-hmm. Um, frankly, sometimes it's a little younger than we used to take folks uh, yeah. right out of college. But it is, it's you know, great, and we want terrific employees. We're getting terrific employees. I did get two laterals from other states who were pre-certified police officers in other states, and they came to us in September. They don't have to go through through a full academy, but they still have to go down regularly to the Vermont Police Academy in order to be uh, hitting certain classes they need for for certification. We are talking with Burlington Police Chief John Murad. He's the permanent chief. If you have a question for the chief, give us a call on the McKenzie Country Classic Hotline, 888-414-0303. Let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning, guys. Um, Big question I got. If there wasn't all this going on in the Middle East, do you think they'd be uh, making the uh, national news and making such a big, uh, big well, it's, it is a big deal, but make so much of a, what it's, um, 
What's, okay. what's happened to it? Got it got sure. Out. Remember to always have your radio down because it kind of distracts sure. you your radio in the background. You know, I, look, the it's it's always hard to game out what what didn't happen or or what could have happened. I, I do think that the the random shooting of three young men uh, might have had a certain amount of national attention, no matter what. Would it have been as large as it was? No. I mean, you know, the mayor spoke with the president at length yesterday. That is not usual. I, I received calls from all, every member of our congressional delegation, uh, calls from many many others. Uh, the number of media, uh, you know, outreach that we got was was tremendously large. Um, this was a, a big story. And yes, of course, it's driven by uh, international events and a sense of these things that are happening in uh, the Middle East and the repercussions that those have around the world. Um, but this act in and of itself was also horrible. It is to have three young men who are not Burlingtonians. They've come to our community to, to celebrate Thanksgiving with family members. They're walking down the street doing nothing, minding their own business, just out for a stroll. And to have them attacked in this way and harmed in this way is utterly awful. And the, frank, the fact is that it deserves this amount of attention, irrespective of whether or not uh, there's wider implications. I think every kind of horrific act like that deserves this kind of attention because maybe then we would say to ourselves, what is it that we need to do to, to try to prevent these things? And, and that has a lot, you know, aspects of, of when we determine if there's motive, if there are, uh, if there are things that could have been done uh, to identify this person, if there are things that we have a, as a society have done to drive whatever it was that caused someone to do this awful thing to these three men. Let's go back to the phones. Uh, good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, un- yeah, very un- unfortunate situation there in Vermont. Horrible. And Burlington. Chief, I have a question more along the lines of the longer-term strategy and plan, right? When, um, you know, in all big companies, when things like this go wrong, granted they're not as, you know, as significant as what happened in Burlington, there's an immediate containment plan put into place. How do we ensure that we get this immediately under control, and then how do we go and start thinking about identifying the potential root causes that that created this scenario? You know, and I, you're one act. You're just one aspect of it, right? You're the the policing action. You're there to ensure that these things are contained and go forward. But you can't fix this problem alone. What is the the bigger strategy about taking a, a scientific approach to identifying the, the craziness that's taken place. So, I'm sorry, at the beginning of your question, you said you wanted to go back. So are you asking about the issue with our staffing, or are you asking about no, this no, terrible sir. crime? No, sir. I, I just, about the, the horrible crime. I'm, okay. I'm more interested in the bigger picture. How do we contain this from getting worse? And then what is the structured approach? Not just some guessing and throwing stuff out there. How do we really sit down and think about, what has created this self and it's manifesting itself in this violence and this drug abuse and this shaken down of pedestrians? No, oh, well, golly, I mean, golly, that's a that's a tremendously huge question. You know, in in the immediate, what we've done to contain this problem is we've made an arrest. We've done what we do as police officers uh, and detectives. We have found uh, we've dug into the evidence. We've done the pieces we need to do, the shoe leather gumshoe work that ends up uh, finding us at the door to a person who then, you know, says, hey, I think you might be looking for me. Um, and while there are, you know, there's an element there of, of luck, you know, some people say that it's, it's better to be lucky than good, but I think it's great to be both. 
Uh, and uh, that's what we have done. Uh, you know, our next step is to make sure that we are as uh, as strong as possible in building a case to uh, hand to the state's attorney so that she can then prosecute and make certain that justice is done and accountability is uh, achieved for this man. And we want to know why he did it. But then the other questions you're talking about, gosh, those those are the things that keep me up at night. And my my wonderful, beautiful wife, Vani, will tell you, these are the things that, you know, keep me from, from getting to bed on time or that make me, uh, you know, concerned about where the city is going with regard to the all the things you mentioned. This this drug crisis that we have, the crime that we have. You know, uh, the state of Vermont in in 2022 saw 25 murders, and five of those were in Burlington, and those are records for both the state and for Burlington. Burlington never saw five murders. The state usually saw 10 to 14 a year, and it saw 25 in 2022. There have already been 20 plus in 2023, and we in Burlington have, have experienced three and that's an unusual number for us what are we doing about this stuff i I don't have an answer for you right here sir let's go back to the phones good morning you're live on the morning drive good morning everybody uh good morning chief and i just wanted to congratulate you and your people for the great job you did in getting this thing to where it is now i have an editorial comment and a question the editorial comment is how ironic is it that a person who was center stage on both the local and national media coverage of this yesterday was Sarah George. And the question is, Chief, do you worry in making an appearance like this, and we're all glad to hear you and hear what you had to say this morning, but is it possible that by discussing some stuff you're discussing now, a sharp lawyer later on may say that it has made it hard for this defendant to get a fair trial in Burlington, and I'll hang up and listen. Thanks, Chief. We're up against a break. Do you want to wait till we come back to the break, or do you want to? Can you give a fairly I, I, short? I, I can give a. First of all, no, uh, State's Attorney George has been nothing but great on this case. We worked directly with her to develop the uh, affidavits and the search warrants, uh, and I thought that her remarks yesterday were trenchant and moving. And I stole her line, uh, not only in this, the the uh, media appearance in Contois yesterday, but on Aaron Burnett's show on CNN last night as well. I, I stole it with attribution, so it's not really stealing, I guess. Uh, I have no, you know, objections to what she's done on this, and I'm. I'm proud to be working with her on this. I don't think that we have done anything to, uh, quote unquote, taint a jury uh, trial or jury pool, rather. Um, I think that everything I've said has been in the affidavits. Everything that we've talked about in public has been already public knowledge. There are things that I've refused to talk about, both in the press conference yesterday and things I haven't spoken about today. That's always the case with an investigation. We want to, to have stuff that we know that we don't necessarily share with the public until it's time. And you're obviously you're being very careful not to repeat anything. Right. That could jeopardize it. As, as certainly as trying to. Yes. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to check in with Fox News. Amanda's got the headlines. We got the forecast. And- Kurt and Anthony on FM 96.3 and AM 620. WVMT. Welcome back to the Morning Drive, everybody. Kurt and Anthony here and continuing our discussion now with Burlington Police Chief John Murad. If you have a question for the chief, Give us a call on the McKenzie Country Classic Hotline, 888-414-0303, and we'll go to the calls. Let's go right to it. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning, Chief. Uh, Mike Donahue described Jason Eaton as a radical citizen, social entrepreneur, and Unitarian. Can you confirm that uh, description of him? I'm not entirely certain what that description means. 
so no, I don't think I can confirm what what the what Mike wrote. Um, I you know we're we're still looking at stuff. Uh, I I've seen a, a Twitter account uh, that that used words like libertarian, but I don't know that it's his. I can't confirm any of these things. And really, one of the dangerous things about this is is making conclusions without getting to the level of proof that we as law enforcement need in order to introduce it into a court. Uh, I you know my statement initial statement in our press release on Sunday, and I, I reiterated it somewhat yesterday during the press conference, uh, is that that you know we don't know as much as we want to and we caution people for ta- from taking information from people who know even less and that's that's not uh, about mike but that is about the notion that you know we had entities calling this uh, a definitive hate crime with very little information and sometimes act- actively erroneous information people were calling it a drive by people were saying that there had been an altercation beforehand in which the man had had confronted them and and you know talked to them and 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 things that we do not have evidence of and yet these things were spread about in the media and by by entities that frankly should know better uh, and uh, were you know I think they do complicate the field I think that that our job as as law enforcement is to take some of these things um, and oftentimes build on on great investigatory work that is done by journalists uh, and then be able to get at it in a way that allows us to be confident enough in it to introduce it to court there was a man who also shared the same name who was not the same man who was whose photo was being shared on social media and being held up as you know this is our guy and and how awful it is and think about what it is to be that that man um so we try to caution uh not to leap to conclusions whenever we can we're talking to burlington police chief john mayor we know we have callers we'll be right with you in just a minute but chief um i want to ask you do you have the the staffing to handle for example uh what caller alluded to this a minute ago um we, there may be other people out there. We don't know. We, with tensions running high on this issue on both sides, um, and we know that around the country there have been anti-Semitic attacks on Jewish people all over the country. Do you have the staffing to check out whether there are groups here in Burlington, hate groups? We don't know that Mr. Eaton was involved in any of them. Maybe not. It was a, just a lone wolf type thing. But are we concerned that there could be on either side? There could be a group here that want to attack Jewish people, anti-Semitic groups. Um, do we are, are we able to sort of do that kind of work to see if that's happening somewhere underground in Burlington? As I've been very clear, we're not adequately staffed to do what we need to do as a municipal police department. We are not adequately staffed to answer all the calls for service that come in. We are not answering every single retail theft complaint. We are not answering every call of uh, a person saying my home was vandalized or I woke up to find you know graffiti on my wall. Uh, we are not doing those things. So the questions you're asking, no. And, you know, our Jewish community is very concerned about this incident. Our, our Obviously, our Muslim community is, and uh, the, one of the first things that I did on the scene was to ensure that our partners in South Burlington, uh, after that shooting, were going over to uh, the Islamic Center of Vermont to do additional patrol there just to say, is this something that we have? Like, is there somebody who's done this thing and is now going to look for other targets? Um, and so I was concerned about that, but I'm concerned about our Jewish community too because they see they feel keenly that something like this could cause uh you know repercussions and and counter uh 
violence. Um, and we don't have enough resources to give them what they are asking for with regard to can you stop by our synagogue? Uh, can you stop by the Chabad? Can you, can you be here uh, for us on a regular basis? We don't have those kinds of resources. I don't like that. I know that, you know, uh, members of our community are concerned. With regard to your other question around groups, you know, I'm hopeful that our federal partners are going to be able to assist in that. We have had uh, low-grade uh, hate groups here. Uh, a group called Patriot Front has uh, put up stickers and, and done low-level incidents of graffiti, etc. Am I worried that that is going to metastasize into some worser violence? It is not at the top of my list of worries by any means. It is something that we're always cognizant of. And and the, the terrible thing about a crime like this is that nobody thought this would happen in Burlington on, on Saturday afternoon uh, and for it to happen at Saturday evening, right? So it's Saturday on Saturday at 1820, I would have told you this isn't going to happen in Burlington. And at 1826, it did. And I think the same would be said by any number of communities that have been visited by horrible things like this. Let's go back to the phones. Uh, good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Yes, good morning. Uh, Chief Murad, this is John Davis again from St. Albans City. Thank you for talking with me several weeks ago. I appreciate that. Thanks again, and you have a good day. Thank you, sir. Oh, uh, let's go to the next line. Good morning. Oh, well, all right. Triple eight four one four zero three zero three. If we didn't get to you, call back. We're we're trying to get them all. It lights the phone lines up. That's for sure. And chief, I want to. You just touch on something. And I want to give you a chance to respond to this um, because it was mentioned by a mayoral candidate on the show, and it's been said a few other times. I've run into a couple of people that have said it to me, and you just sort of touched on it, which is there are people in Burlington that think that the police are sometimes, this has been put out there, not my, mm-hmm. it's not me, uh, but that are saying that the police have at times ignored calls on purpose, Not, and they're not saying because of staffing issues. They're, these. I hope it's a tiny number of people, but they're saying that, that the Burlington police have at times have ignored calls to create fear in the community so that uh, people would be on their side politically. Can you can you respond to that? That is unequivocally false. We have never ignored. Have you, have you heard that? I've I too have heard the allegation. Um, uh, you know, yes, we are not responding to certain calls. I've been very clear about the kinds of calls that we're not going to be able to respond to at certain times. When our staffing on a shift falls below a certain level, or when officers are otherwise engaged and it leaves uh, only two officers left, there are calls we will not respond to. That is the priority response plan. I made it public when we announced it in 2021. I made it public when we changed it in 2022. Uh, it remains, unfortunately, something we under which we're operating. And it's the first button on our webpage, so you can click it and look at it and read about it yourself. Uh, it is absolutely something we're doing. Are we doing it to create fear? Absolutely not. I actually, I'm, I'm, that actually angers me that that's even sort of bandied about. It is absolutely false. We are, uh, we are not responding the way we want to be able to respond. That is because we do not have the resources that we are supposed to have. And that decision was made in a way that was, uh, you know, maybe well-intentioned, but certainly precipitous and certainly, uh, ultimately a failed experiment. And I'm, I'm glad that we have the tools to try to build our way out of it right now. And you understand the frustration of people when you can't respond to certain things, but it's not that you 
don't yeah. want to. It's the staffing. Gosh, I completely understand the frustration. I completely understand the frustration. And and frankly, there are things that we have lost because of online reporting and the ways in which online reporting has to be then reviewed and then turned into an actual Valcor report. There are things that have fallen by the wayside for long periods of time. And that is not the way we want to serve our public, to have you make a complaint in, in February and not have it addressed until June and not have an arrest made until October. That is not the way we want to do it. The state's attorney has, has indicated that there are issues with with us forwarding cases in that manner but that is where we are we cannot you cannot expect 25 you know you cannot expect 22 people to do the work of 52 people and be able to do that work at the same pace or keep up with that work something is going to give and fail and what has given and failed are the lower level crimes that we can't always respond to uh what we cannot afford to give up on are crimes like this the day that we don't show up when somebody says there are three people shot in front of my house on North Prospect Street, we have failed. And so we do bring out all the stops for that. And sometimes people, the media will show those kinds of incidents and there'll be tons of, of police there and cars and people say, well, geez, they don't look all that bad. A lot of times that's every single officer on the shift. That's people coming in from overtime. That is, uh, you know, the detectives leaving. If it's a daytime incident, detectives leaving and suddenly and appearing at the scene. It is not indicative of what we are routinely patrolling the city with, which is four to five to six officers on a typical shift for a eight for a 15 square mile city with 45,000 residents and and many thousands more visitors. Let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. You're on the air. Uh, good morning. Good good morning, Chief. Uh, congratulations to you. Congratulations to your team on on such a swift apprehension. Um, it, it ought to be clear that uh, who's responsible for the shortage of. Burlington officers is uh, is the city council and the decisions that they've made. Um, elections have consequences in the city of Burlington, and uh, uh, certainly uh, a shortage of staff in the police department is, is one of them. Um, I, I was going to ask you, um, h- how big is the the class uh, at the uh, at the school for for officers, and specifically, exactly how many that graduate will be in the uh, Burlington police force? Uh, in the next graduating class, and and the, the class beyond that, um, pr- precisely how many more officers will we uh, see on the force at the academy? Yeah, great question. Uh, thank you for that question. On Friday, we expect six uh, police officers to graduate from the Vermont Police Academy who are going to be Burlington cops, and on Monday they will. Uh, well. Uh, on Monday, I anticipate them beginning their field training. Sometimes there are additional classes down at the academy that they have to do called post-basic classes. Uh, but their basic academy class graduation is on Friday. Six of those uh, academy graduates are going to be ours. Um, terrific crop. Uh, I am, I'm hopeful that they are, are going to be great officers. Uh, and we're going to put them in a field training program that lasts for 580 hours at, a, at minimum. And so they will not be solo police officers until well into the spring. Um, but they are uh, going to be, uh, you know, we're hopeful they become terrific officers. How many are we going to have in the August, in the, excuse me, in the February class? I don't know that answer yet. I don't think it's unfortunately going to be six. And then the other question you had was, you know, how many are at the academy? So the academy has to train every single police officer for every single agency in the state. And it has been struggling mightily to do that. That used to have a, a very firm headcount cutoff. It has, it has basically ignored that cutoff and oftentimes taken in class that frankly are a little bit large for the facilities they have and for the capacities they have. Uh, it has a very small instructor staff. It augments that with officers from other police departments. I routinely send officers from the Burlington Police
police department down to be instructors in various classes, to be participants in, uh, in scenario based training. Um, and we love doing that because we like sharing what Burlington knows by volume and variety. Our officers work more than any other police department in the state. And we certainly like having our methods and ways shared with our, with the new police officers to be, but the academy is drastically underfunded and the state really, really needs to step up and, and look at that academy and say, what can we do to make certain that we are uh, adequately resourcing this incredibly important institution that makes the police officers that keep all of us throughout the state safe? Um, yeah, let's go back to the phones. I want to come back to that and the funding and how the whole the whole process works. Uh, oh, well, let's go to the next line. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Yes, good morning, Chief. At the, at the risk of being politically incorrect, you've heard the phrase, all chiefs, no Indians, correct? Uh, yes, I don't, and I don't okay. think we say that anymore, but sure, <laughs> thanks. All right, well, um, to a certain extent, I think the state police suffers from that syndrome, meaning... There's a lot of people in charge and leaves too few people out in the road doing the dirty work. Now, on these, say, these low-level crimes where, where you're unable to respond, are there actually people sitting back in an office that, if not for their rank, they could actually be responding? So I, I certainly don't believe that to be the case in Burlington. Um, I think that in, in Burlington, you know, we do, we have uh, our supervisor, the number of supervisors we have is somewhat dictated by the number of shifts we have. So even as those shifts have dwindled in officers, we've gone from, you know, nine officers on a day shift and nine officers on an evening shift and five officers on a midnight shift or six sometimes uh, to only having four or five on the day shift, four or five, six on the evening shift and two on the midnight shift. But I still need the same number of supervisors because the shifts are what dictate the number of supervisors. You've got to have a supervisor on a shift. Are those supervisors doing more calls for service than they did back when there were nine? I think they're certainly uh, taking a more hands-on role, but you also can't have a supervisor taking a hands-on role because if I am, uh, and this happens to me sometimes, if I am going to make a, you know, involve myself in an arrest or a case, now I have to deal with that on top of all the other things that I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm a supervisor, in my case, the supervisor for a reason. Uh, and so there are, are balances to be had there. We don't currently have the best uh, practice aspect, uh, excuse me, the best practice supervisor to officer ratio or span of control, as it's called, uh, that we should. The best practice span of control is one and eight, a supervisor and eight uh, subordinates, corporals, officers, senior officers. We're currently not at that. But uh, we have dwindled our number of supervisors even as we've dwindled the number of cops. So it's not like we've kept all of the top and only uh, dealt with the lower ranks. I'm down sergeants. I need many more sergeants than I currently have. And the sergeants themselves are taking the brunt of that. They work way too hard and too much. That's the sergeants. That's the lieutenants. Uh, you know. Um, I, I don't think that the, the problem you're describing there is, is really in the BPD. But it is seen in the numbers. Our ratios are not what they ought to be. Well, let's go back. Uh, the triple X, triple X, triple eight four one four oh three oh three. Mackenzie Country Classic Hotline is open right now. If you got a uh, question for the chief, I do want to ask uh, kind of a mechanics question when it comes to the Vermont State Police Academy. So every every town, every organization, um, including the state police and the sheriff's departments, to to get a certified officer goes through that process. How is the funding done? Does do you have to pay uh, a tuition? Does each each organization pay a tuition into that, or does the state just run the facility and you just fill the slots? 
uh, there, there are certain things that get paid for, including, you know, uh, there are, are certain payments, but mostly the state does it and the state okay. and this, the slots are handed out, uh, basically on, uh, it, it, it used to be sort of a mixture of, you know, the Vermont State Police always got the most slots. It's the largest agency. We usually had the next number of uh, largest number of slots. Um, but it also sort of had to do it by who needs what. And, gotcha. and it was a complicated process. The fact that they've taken away that cap has been very helpful to us, but it's been a challenge for them. Sure. Yeah. No, I, I was just curious because I've... Uh I have a couple of friends that worked there and, and uh, years ago, and it was challenging then, and yeah. I can only imagine what it's like now. Yeah. Chief, where do we stand on the hate crime enhancement charge? Um, I heard what the, the state's attorney for Chittenden County said yesterday, Sarah George. Is that still an important aspect of this? Everybody's concerned about it. And when will we know if that's going to be, if that enhancement will happen or not? Uh, I, I don't, I think that, you know, it's going to be a while for us to know, for us to be able to do the kinds of information, uh, excuse me, investigation that, that could find something definitive to make this a hate crime is going to take some time. Um, nobody can look at this with common sense and not say that it looks like something that was driven by these young men's identities, their protected class and protected class in Vermont is race, religion, uh, gender identity, sexuality, uh, membership in the armed services is a protected class in Vermont. Um, you know, these young men wearing a distinctive garb, a keffiyeh, you know, speaking Arabic, um, uh, of course, that is what people leap to the conclusion. And by a common sense application, it's it's probably not wrong. But when we look at the law's necessities, it's a it's a high burden. It's a it's a hurdle that we have to get across. I don't know when we'll have that kind of information. I, I mean, basically, it should be part of the case once it's actually presented in to a trial. Um, and while it's very important, certainly from a perspective of, of the community and feeling like people are, are heard and that we're acknowledging that there's something about this that's worse than some, than other kinds of crimes, it's not necessary to make this case and to get a conviction. Let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. All right. Let's go to the next line. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Yes. Good morning. Keith, uh, a couple weeks back, there was a... Uh, somebody who's going to run for mayor on this show and typical progressive fashion would not be honest with the people of Burlington and would not say that she would support keeping you as the police chief. Maybe you guys can help me out with her name. Um, She was asked repeatedly and would not give an answer. Now, I happened to catch a rebroadcast of that interview. Just came in and I heard her say something that was very telling which was, uh, I forget exactly her wording, but she basically was saying, well, my conversation that I want to have with these people, like you, Chief, would be to make sure that they they are not bad-mouthing and not denouncing uh, other uh, officials. We're getting short on time, so you kind of got to wrap toward the question. Basically, she wanted to say, will you not, will you support Sarah George and her catch and release? That seemed to be her key, whether she would support you or not. So do you support Sarah George and her catch and release? 
So I, I'm going to take issue with the form of the question. I, you know, I, I don't think the state's inter- the state's attorney has a, a catch and release policy. I do support the state's attorney. I work closely with the state's attorney. Uh, I certainly have differences of opinion and philosophy with the state's attorney, and she has those with me. But we are partners, and on cases such as this one, for example, we work incredibly closely and and have to, and we need to do that for the sake of public safety in the state. Chief, how? Where do we stand in terms of your force, the men and women of the Burlington Police Department, in terms of them being demoralized? We know that there was a time a few years ago that, that the morale of the police department was at a low ebb. You had uh, a police commission that did, at times, was very not supportive, a city council that passed stuff that demoralized the police. You had these cop watch groups going around trying to find uh, a police officer doing something wrong. Um, is the morale up now from what it was at the low ebb? That it was that it was at in Burlington. I think it definitely is. I think the morale is definitely up from its lowest ebb. Um, but morale is a complicated thing. You know, there's there's large scale morale about how you feel about the city or the agency or the job itself. There's low morale. There's there's smaller scale morale. Do I like the team I work with or my partner? Uh, do I like? Well, in, we don't have partners in Burlington, but in in you know in New York, you know, I got a person I got to ride around in a in a in a car with uh, eight hours a day. Do I like that person? Um, those kinds of things are there too. I, right now. I I think that we have an incredibly strong sense of team cohesion inside the agency with, with you know, uh, things that are, that are always inside any kind of team. Um, but we also have a sense of mission. And I think that there is a sense that there is greater amount of support than there has been from the community. And uh, I think they appreciate that. They want to do the work. They just don't want the the sense of, of constant scrutiny. They recognize the need for accountability. They recognize that they hold an incredibly important role that does deserve to be scrutinized. But they don't want to be scrutinized in, in this way that they felt for three years and i think that feeling is ebbing with the improving numbers but still below way below where where we need them to be um our officers still having to work significant overtime hours which we get concerned about right yeah. because they have their the judgments they have to make yeah. on a daily basis you don't want them overly tired and stressed every study shows that too much overtime is detrimental to a police department i have not created any mandatory overtime scheme uh we could have papered over some of these gaps with mandatory overtime schemes with different kinds of staffing schemes including 12-hour shifts some of our supervisors are on 12-hour shifts because i am understaffed on the supervisors in some ways more than i'm understaffed on the rest of this team even though the number and ratio has changed in a way that i didn't like uh but i haven't done mandatory overtime for police officers they are held over at times, and that can be a sense of it, it, it generally isn't mandatory. If it has to fall to the lowest ranking officer, then that's what happens. But most of the time, these uh, men and women work together really well to say, I know that you, you know, rookie officer, have been taking it a little too often. I'll step up and take this, this, the fact that we need a holdover because the next shift does not have enough people to run. And so uh, you're going to be held over. I'll take that one. They do that, they step up for each other. They are such great employees for the city of Burlington. They are such good men and women, and I am so proud to work with all of them. Absolutely. We're, I'm basically out of time, Chief, but uh, one quick, quick sentence or two on dispatchers, because we know that yeah. has been a shortage, and, yeah. it's, and along with the officers, very important. We used to have 12 dispatchers. We fell as low as four. Uh, we papered that over with extreme amounts of overtime, uh, including officers who are trained as dispatchers. We finally got firefighters who are also trained as dispatchers to assist us and take over fire calls. We've been working close with the fire department because we do dispatch both police and fire in the city of Burlington. We currently have nine dispatchers, uh, and then there are also three, I believe, firefighter dispatchers, possibly four. Our headcount has been increased from 12 to 14.
14 authorized, and I believe that we will be at uh, 10 fully certified, dual certified uh, dispatchers who can do fire and police. That's a functional room. It's not fully staffed, but it's a functional room. It's so much better than being at four where we were, which was a crisis. And I think we'll be there by the end of this calendar, excuse me, by the end of the fiscal year. Mm. And and that is the incredible work of uh, Deputy Chief Brian Labarge, uh, of Larry Barbeau, who is the uh, emergency communications manager. They have done so much work to make that room functional again. Burlington Police Chief John Mirad, thanks for being on the morning drive, as always. And thanks to you and everybody in the department for the great work you're doing. Thank you. Thanks for coming in today. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to check in with ABC News. Amanda's got the headlines. we got the forecast for you. And then we're going to talk with columnist Rob Roper from Behind the Lines right here on News Talk.